Father, we thank you that you've given us Jesus. There's no rival. There's no comparison. And I just pray now that as we, as we compare our challenges to our strength, that we would refocus and begin to compare it with the powerful person in name of Jesus. That you would encourage us, Lord Jesus. There is nothing that can compare with the power that you have in Jesus. And I pray that you would renew that understanding today and encourage us, realizing that, that you've given us all the power, all the glory goes to you. Father, we just pray now that as we've come into contact with you, the living God, in worship, that now you take the living word and you transform our hearts. That every aspect of the word of God would go out and accomplish what it is intended to accomplish. It'll never return void. We know that you will take it and use it to change our lives. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. On the sixth day, God created man out of the dust of the ground. From then on, mankind was referred to as dust, clay, clay vessels, or clay pots. Around A.D. 1940 or so, clay became old, outmoded, and obsolete. The flow of resources demanded something more linear and smoother and flexible, and God began to create man out of a plastic material called PVC. PVC was much more durable, less brittle, and more flexible, and much easier to use. It could easily be shaped into pipes through which God could pour his blessings into and through. Some were formed into two-inch pipes, some four-inch, others were eight-inch pipes or even 16-inch. Each was sized according to their ability to channel God's blessings. There were some common characteristics to each pipe. Each was open on one end and closed on the other. God poured his blessings into the top and man opened the valve, releasing them on the bottom. God controlled the inflow and man controlled the outflow. And God kept pouring. Each person chose how much to open or close his or her valve. Some chose to open it at 2%, just a trickle. Some chose to open at 5% or 7%. And those who believed in strict traditional guidelines chose to open their valve exactly 10%. No more, no less. They had heard that this was the perfect number. Others, less rigid in their tradition, opened it wider still, exceeding the 10% by offering an additional 3%, 5%, or even more to their outflow of blessings. It was rumored that one great pipe of past renown had even opened his valve an incredible, unbelievable 90%. Some kept their valve closed altogether. But one thing was for sure, each pipe was always full. Whether it was closed completely, open 2%, 5%, 20%, or more. And God just kept on pouring. People had different reasons for their valve behavior. 
Some just didn't believe God could keep pouring in any more than the 10% they let out. Others would open or close their valve depending on the season or on their mood. Others still decided to control their valve so as to manipulate people or manipulate circumstances. Some even put a neon-colored measuring valve on their pipe so everyone else could see their amount. One even closed his valve altogether if he didn't like something the head PVC pipe did. But God kept on pouring. Three things remained the same, always. God controlled the inflow. Man controlled the outflow. No one was ever empty. Some just received more blessings because they released more blessings. And oh, how God wanted to pour. That was the parable of the pipe. The purpose of the life of a believer is not to see how much we can accumulate, but to see how much we can give away. Giving is a lifestyle for some. Giving, some live a lifestyle of taking. And the, the parable of the pipe is a picture of our lifestyle of giving, taking, and how much. Well, today I'm going to preach about giving. I usually give you guys a warning. I apologize. I'm not going to apologize. No, that's okay. Um, if you're visiting with us for the first time, I, pre I haven't preached on money yet, and I've been here 18 months, so it's, it's due. It's okay. I'm going to be preaching about giving, about giving. Now, as a matter of practice, just so you all know, I do not ever look at anybody's giving record, so I don't know what anybody gives, okay? That way I can be totally objective about preaching the biblical truth, and I can be an equal opportunity encourager and an equal opportunity offender, just so you know. Now we're going to look today at a group of people in the first century church in the city of Corinth. We, we've been in the book of Acts all year. It's been an incredible series. Pastor Damien and I have been sharing that. Pastor Damien and Bailey, by the way, are at a wedding in Indiana. So they'll be back this week. But we've been in the book of Acts, and we're taking a little break uh, to, to, to talk about stewardship or about giving. When we look at this group of people that we're going to see in, in, in Corinth, we discover that they are indeed generous givers. And Paul documents their attitude and their actions. Today we're going to look at three things, just, just three simple things. Number one, principles for giving. Number two, motives for giving. And three, promises in giving. So principles, motives, and promises. And I'd like you to turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians. It's on page 939 in the Bible in the rack in front of you. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And we're going to read the first six verses of 8 in the first part of this message. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 6. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testified that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did so, and they did not do so as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made it a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. 
Principles for giving. Number one, giving is a response to God's grace. Giving is a response to God's grace. Or it's a response to God's goodness. The only reason we give at all is because God gave to us first. The, the t- natural tendency on all of us is we as human beings are looking out for number one. So the number one tendency is to take and to keep and whatever instead of give. And we give because God gave to us. It begins where all things should start with God. We love God because he first loved us. So giving all begins with God and, his, and, and his, his grace. Giving is a response to God's grace or his goodness. Secondly, as we learn in this story, giving ourselves to God is first. Giving of ourselves to God is first. God doesn't really want our time or money or talents first. He wants me. He wants you. He wants our heart, our passion, our affection. He wants our love. That's what's most important to him. Because he desires first and foremost relationship. And relationship is something he's extended to us. And he wants us in relationship with him first of all. And most importantly. It's most important in this relationship that we recognize that it's not a certain percentage that we have that belongs to God, but everything belongs to God. One of the key principles of stewardship in our relationship with God is that everything we have has been given to us by God, so it all belongs to him. We're just managers, we're just stewards, okay? And, and I know the first thing, one of the first l- words we learn as children, it's first you, all, the kids always learn dada, okay? Then mama, maybe some version of grandpa, grandma, whatever, but then the next word everybody learns is, Mine. Isn't that true? Mine. That's mine. It's, it's part of human nature. And, and so we grow up thinking it belongs to us. And nothing that we have belongs to us. It all belongs to God. We're just managers. And we first are here to give ourselves in a relationship with God. Letter C, giving is not dependent on wealth. Giving is not dependent on wealth. It says that out of their extreme poverty, they gave out of their poverty. One of the misconceptions is that we always leave the giving up to the rich folks, whoever those are. Rich is anybody has more than I do. Okay, that's, that's what we say. It's not about wealth. These people gave out of their, and it, just, it, wasn't, it was extreme poverty. Wow. And you know what? Some of the most generous people I've ever known are people that didn't have much. They are people that just didn't have much. But an indicator of how thoroughly that they've given themselves to God was that everything they had, whether it was a lot or little or whatever, everything they had was, was belonged to God and it was at his disposal. And what they had was also at other people's disposal as well as giving. When we realize that God has given us everything, it frees us not to hang on to those possessions and time or money, but to give it away. And many people think the church's job is to accumulate money, okay? Jerry Hayner said of the church, the purpose of the church financially is not to accumulate as much money as possible, but to give away as much as possible. Oh, that makes Chris nervous. <laughs> it's to, to give away. He's our treasurer. So it, it's to give away as much money as possible. And the same is true of individuals. How much can we give away? In the parable of the pipe, in the introduction, we found that we all have different sized pipes. It's like we all have different capacity. Two inch, four inch, eight or 16. And God fills us with those resources and we all hold different amounts. But if we shut down that outflow, God will start, stop pouring in the inflow. What, what size pipe are you? It's small, medium, large, whatever that might be. 
How much flows through us is not dependent on how much we can hold, but on how much we release. How much do we release? And God can pour much more through us than our personal wealth or abilities if we just let go of it and let it go. Because giving does not depend on our wealth, but on our willingness and God's wealth. What will he pour through us? Number four, letter D. Giving is voluntary and spontaneous. Voluntary and spontaneous. It says they gave entirely on their own. We're used to arm twisting and, and pressure and begging and guilt trips. One of the things I, I just hope so much that we don't have guilt trips here in this church. This, this guilt thing, many of us are raised in the holiness tradition and all of the righteous, and that's, there's nothing wrong with, with being holy, but sometimes we have these guilt trips laid on us, and, and guilt is not healthy. It's not biblical. We're relieved from not only guilt feelings, but real guilt. They were just informed of the needs, and they, they gave voluntarily and spontaneously. Letter E, giving is a privilege. Giving is a privilege, verse 4. It says, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service. These, saw, these people saw giving as a privilege. They said, may I please give to your ministry, please? You know, it's like they, they urgently pleaded with them so that they could give. Few people today see giving as a privilege. And if giving is a response to God's love, how much love are we experiencing? Sometimes I wonder, how much love are we experiencing from God? Because we do this so poorly sometimes. Letter F, giving is a way to participate. Verse four, it, this was sharing in this service to the saints. There are many ways that we participate in organizations, but we never really feel like we're part of what's going on if we, if we, if we don't participate. Participate. It's the difference between spectator sports and participatory sports. Okay, spectator sports and participatory sports. Now, I played sports all the way through high school, played a little bit of, very little soccer in college. And uh, after I got married and we had kids, then um, I loved to play summer softball and winter basketball, and, and I would do these things and go out once again to prove my manhood. And, and I always got hurt, you know. And finally, finally, I was playing basketball. I was 39 years old and just trying to be a 19-year-old playing basketball, and, and I had a, a total shoulder separation. And Judy said to me, you're done. You're done. You're not going to play sports anymore. You're going to watch your kids play sports. So, so my days of playing were over. Now it's time for my kids to play. So I went from a participant to a spectator, okay, and loved it because it was my daughter's. But there was a big difference between participatory sports and, and observatory sports or spectator sports. And some of us practice our Christian faith that way. It's just kind of a... Uh, and a Christian faith is not designed to be a spectator sport. It's, it's designed to be participatory. It's to get in the game using my time, talents, energy, gifts, and even my money. Even my money. Some have only money and they stop there, and that's not healthy either. But many never participate in God's kingdom financially either. We read in the book of Revelation about a book that no man could open. There was a book that no man could open. Some believe this was the checkbook, but that's still, we're wondering about that. So, giving is a response to God's love. Giving ourselves to God is first. Giving is not dependent on wealth. Giving is voluntary and spontaneous. Giving is a privilege, and giving is a way to participate. Now, let's look at number two, motives for giving. 
Motives for forgiving. It's been said there are three kinds of givers. Three kinds of givers. There's the flint, the sponge, and the honeycomb. The flint, the sponge, and the honeycomb. You have to hammer on a flint to get anything out of it, and you only get chips and sparks. You don't get anything. That's a flint. To get anything out of the sponge, you have to squeeze it. The more you squeeze, the more you get. Okay, That's a sponge. But the honeycomb just kind of overflows with spontaneous goodness. And the question is, what kind of a giver am I? What kind of a giver, a giver am I? Now, the last thing, again, that I want to promote in this church is guilt. So let's, talk, let's start with wrong motives, because a lot of times we give for wrong motives. The first wrong motive that we have, letter A, number one, is duty. I have to. I have to. There was a notice in a church bulletin that said, God loves a cheerful giver. He also accepteth from a grouch. Well, that is true. That is true, but sometimes we give out of, out of duty. I, I have to. I, I have to, or is it I get to? You know, I, I know that when, when we asked our kids to do their chores or do something, they, they would never say, do I get to? They always said, do I have to? Okay. I'm sure that you were the same, I was the same growing up, is do I have to? Instead of I get to. And sometimes we approach God's encouragement with a do I have to or do I get to? It's a sense of duty. It's like I owe God money just like I owe my taxes, okay? And I gotta pay my taxes, I have to. And if I don't, they'll take my house and my car. Yeah, you know how that goes. So, but that's not the way it is. Then there's self-satisfaction. The second wrong motive is self-satisfaction. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel good. Now, that sounds selfish. It's not a real desire to help, but a desire to relieve my guilt or make me feel good. Now, does giving make us feel good? I hope so. It's nice. When we can give, it's nice to feel good. But if that's the motive, then it's a wrong motive. It's, in essence, selfish. One writer says, people who give like that give to themselves rather than to the recipient because they're giving to make themselves feel good. Number three is prestige. It makes me look good. It makes me look good. This is not out of love, but of pride. Not a gift given not to help, but to glorify the giver. And the chances are, if you don't get recognition, you're not going to give the gift at all. Now, um, you all know about the giving clubs. It's the 500 club and the 1,000 club and the 10,000 club and whatever. And the names are published based on how much you give. Now, you can't control, if, you, if you're, you do that with an organization, there's nothing you can do typically to stop that from happening. It's not necessarily the fault of the giver. But if that's the reason we give so that we can get our name published, then there's a wrong motive. It's, it's, it's because it makes me look good. If the motive is to have a building named after me, my, my motive is wrong. Now, if they name a building after me, uh, the Mark Nordvet Memorial or whatever, after I'm dead and gone, that's another thing. But, but if that's my motive for giving, then, then it's wrong. Giving to look good. It's kind of like we pile up credit with God. Now, and I will, I'll say this, I, I meddle a little bit. Recognition plaques, tracing gifts to people, relatives, and friends, begins to feel like we have a church dedicated to the dead. And we just put their names up. Let me tell you something. There's only one symbol, I believe, that should be dedicated to the dead in a church. And that's because there's nobody on it anymore. And that's the cross, okay? 
He died and was resurrected. All these other things are plaques to, to memorialize things. We ought to just focus on the cross, Jesus Christ. That's the plaque we need to think about. These other things, and I, I'm meddling now, and I'm sorry if I offended you, but I'm, I'm well, whatever. It's something we do. We need to look at the motives of why do we do what we do? What are the motives? Number four, it got, it got real quiet first service too. That's <laughs> at that point. Um, not number four, wrong motive, selfishness. Selfishness, I give to get. If I just give enough, God will bless me. And I hear that all the time. See, I just need to keep giving because if I keep giving, then God will bless me. Okay, well that's selfish. The reason we're giving is, a, is wrong. It's a, it's a wrong motive. Then there's the other side of that. There's the fear factor. I'm afraid of what will happen if I don't. I'm afraid of what will happen if I don't. In other words, God has this standard of giving, and I must reach that, and if I don't reach that, God's going to curse me. Okay, I know people do that. They're, they're, they live in mortal terror if they don't get the right percentage of giving that, that God's going to curse them somehow. So the reason I give, and we do have results from our behavior, but that can't be the motive for our giving. Fear. And then need, this is a kind of real subtle thing. This is giving, they need it. So this is giving to fill a need. Not giving to God, it's just there's a need so I'm gonna fill it. Now, we give to fill needs, but that's not the motivation to fill a need. These are subtle issues at, at play. We're talking about motives. Now let's look at right motives, right motives. The first one is grace, I get to. I get to, it's not I have to, I get to. This congregation that he outlines in 2 Corinthians, they were so excited because they got to participate. And num number two is love, I want to. Love, I want to. We give because love is awakened by a need and we give because of our, our love for God spills over and we want to. It's like giving to your children because you love them so much you can't help it. You know, you just love them so much you can't help it. Or giving to your spouse, your love just overflows. You, you just have to give blood to purchase her a dream vacation cruise or something. You know, just one of those kinds of things. <laughs> Sorry. Judy's still waiting for her vacation cruise, too, but anyway. So giving, I can't help it. And then there's anonymously, anonymously. In, in Matthew 6, 2 to 4, it says, When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. The interesting thing when you study this passage is he said, You gave to get attention, so people would notice. You gave to look good. And you look good, and that's the end. That's, that's your reward. You look good, that's it. There's no reward. In, in glory, there's no reward in the future. You look good, you got your reward. That's what it says here. That's what happens. Then he says, when you give to the needy, do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Anonymously. When we were pastoring church in Seattle, I received a phone call one day, and a, a couple in our church wanted to stop by for a few minutes, and they were rather cryptic and secretive. They didn't want anyone to know that they were coming to see me. They, wanted, they didn't want anybody to see them, and I thought, ooh, this is weird, what's, what's, what's going on with them? So they came into the office, and they asked us if we could go to the other side of the church, because nobody in the office would see, and so went around to the other side of the church and, and parked on the street, was a brand new 15-passenger van. 
And they said, they pulled the keys out of the pocket and they said, this is for the church. And we're going to give it to the church with one condition. Nobody can ever know who gave it. I was flabbergasted at the sacrifice, a $45,000 van, an incredible gift to the church, and they wanted it anonymous. They didn't want anybody to know. And I thought, what an incredible example of selflessness and self-sacrifice to do that and not wanting anybody to know. It was anonymously, anonymously. There's just something doesn't feel right about that. Somebody's got to know, you know, but no, nobody could know. They said anonymously. Let's move on to the promises in giving. Promises in giving. In chapter 9, we're going to read verses 6 through 15. It's on page 940. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. There's a lot of alls and everys there. That verse. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Let me say that again. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace of God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The first promise that we find is letter A. We reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. There was a guy that had a nightmare one night. He dreamed that God took his Sunday offering. He multiplied it by 10, and that became his weekly income. He then lost his car, his big screen TV, and he couldn't make his house payments. What would happen to you? Now, let me say, love has no mathematical standard. The Bible gives us a guideline, both in the Old Testament and New Testament, of a tithe or 10%. However, regardless of whether, and I know there's some controversy of whether the 10% uh, tithe thing applies to anything, the Wesleyan Church stands on that. They believe that. Uh, there, are, there are many different principles. However, the one principle that's indisputable, we reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. We're not under law, but under grace. But since we're under grace, we can actually give more than 10%. Isn't that neat? Just, just saying, okay? We can give more. The motive, however, is not to reap what we're sowing. Otherwise, we're trying to get because we give. The motive is to give out of love. And I take some issue with, with seed faith concepts. I don't know if you've heard about the seed faith Concept, I give in order to get. It's the televangelist who said, if you send me $100, the Lord will multiply it three times and you'll receive $300 back. 
someone sent him a letter. You send me $100 and let God send you the $300 back. Anyway, we reap what we sow. Letter B, we will have everything we need. We will have everything we need. Time and again, people have been faithful in giving to God. Money, time, talent have had their needs supplied. It's an amazing thing that happens. And we'll talk more about it, not next week, but the week afterwards, how, but how we can do more with 90% or, or we can do more with 80, 80% with God's blessing or whatever it is than without it. God will, will do incredible things and, and fill the needs. Letter C, our lives will be enriched. Our lives will be enriched. Verse 11 says, you will be made rich in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. Um, there's a lot more to God's blessings than material possessions. There are friends and there's family, there's good health, there's spiritual soundness, peace with God. And I know people who've sacrificed peace with friends, family, and God just to make a, a quick buck. Notice the sequence in that verse. Rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. God pours out his blessing so we can be generous. The word generous is used numbers of times in this passage. Generosity, generosity, generosity. And I pray that God would make us a people of generosity. The result is thanksgiving to God. By the way, it's always better to give than to receive. Then you don't have to write thank you notes. Just, just saying, okay. Fourth promise, letter D, God will receive the credit, verse 13. It's not about us, it's about God. It's not about us, it's about God. What greater reward could we ever have than to see God being thanked, God being glorified? The whole purpose of our lives is to glorify God, to point people to Jesus. And when I love someone, I love to see them receive the credit due, the glory where they deserve it. In letter E, people will be drawn to you, verse 14. It says their hearts will go out to you. Why is that important? Because we represent Jesus. We represent Jesus. When we give, we treat people as Jesus did. People will be drawn to you, and you can point them then to the one who transformed your life, Jesus. Then they too can experience the power, transformation of Jesus. Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father, which is in heaven. Principles for giving, motives for giving, promises for giving. What kind of pipe are you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us some examples of real people who gave generously. And I pray, God, that, that you would just help us to rethink some of our principles and, and what we're thinking about, our motives, and, and challenge us, Lord Jesus, to, to be a people of giving. You are such a good, good Father. You've given us so much. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would continue to help us excel in this grace of giving as well. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Let's stand, shall we? Father, we thank you that you are perfect in all your ways. You're a good, good Father. Your love extends to us. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would continue to remind us of your love and grace in Jesus' name. Before we dismiss with the benediction, remember, men, each ticket is good for two. Okay, so you get one and get one other guy to go with you on April 3rd. The, uh, if you're going to get three guys, then you need two, okay? Just, just if you want to do the math, we can help you with that. But anyway, so 
one of these for two. Uh, don't forget that and just sign up so we know who's all coming and uh, a great time in outreach, uh, inviting somebody that, that you've been building a bridge or relationship with um, and giving them the opportunity. At, at halftime, there will be a testimony by a sports uh, person that's with FCA. And so um, it'll be not only basketball, food, and all that stuff. In halftime, there will be a, a short testimony sharing Jesus. So uh, plan on that. So now may the love of God the Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship and the power of the Holy Spirit be and abide with all who are in Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you.